Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Fierce Calling Podcast. I'm your host, author, blogger, and speaker, Dara Swift. This podcast is about a community of women who are taking action where their passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. We are using our gifts to impact the world for Christ, and I hope these stories inspire you to take action and use your gifts to impact the world. Have you ever experienced a spiritual wilderness? Perhaps you're going through one right now. In this episode, I'm talking with Corella Roberts. Her fierce calling thus far includes a difficult season in Bush, Alaska and adventures in Thailand. Hear what she learned during her spiritual wilderness, what her family is currently praying and waiting for, and how God is using her in a land that is less than 1% Christian. Plus, she's writing a book and we get to hear the details about that. Listen in as I have a chat with Corella Roberts. Welcome to the Fierce Calling Podcast. I have my friend with me today, Cora, also known as Corella, and she is coming to us from Thailand. Hi, Corella. Hi, Doris. Such a pleasure to be on with you today. Thank you. I know I guess I would say good morning to you, but you would say good <laughs> evening to me. Yes. <laughs> and you're already into the future, so... It's our I know, isn't that so weird? <laughs> it is so weird. But anyway, I appreciate you joining us. So tell us a little bit about your story, about where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. I know you have a story that includes Alaska and Thailand, so we'd be interested to hear about that. It's been so interesting as I've been praying about and preparing for this interview with you and like really thinking back through this idea of calling and I've recognized that, you know, somewhere along the way, I, I guess God just put it in my heart. I probably had some teaching somewhere that I don't remember, but I've really walked through life kind of believing that at, at every point, God has a calling for me. Like he, he invites me and all of us, I believe, to partner with him in his kingdom building work. And that can look like a lot of different things. And so I was just thinking how through, you know, it started in college. Um, I went to University of Northwestern in St. Paul, Minnesota. I was studying to be a teacher and we had a chapel speaker come who was teaching overseas and was in fact in a Middle Eastern country that you really can't just go in and do straight out missions. And he shared how as a teacher, he could be there and have a purpose, a, a legitimate job and use that as a bridge for building relationships and sharing the gospel. And my husband, he was my boyfriend of like six years at that time, high school sweetheart. <laughs> he and I got talking after that and we said, you know, wow, we could use teaching as missions. We could go anywhere in the world with this. And we just sensed God putting that calling in our hearts, you know, is this conviction that there's people who are unreached who haven't heard of the Lord. And um, we've got this passion to teach and, you know, it just, it all mixed up and made sense. And so we pursued that and yeah, we first ended up in Alaska because we had way too much college debt to launch straight into overseas uh -huh. work. But in Alaska, you can do kind of a bivocational missionary teaching thing where you teach in a public school way out in a little tiny bush village. 
and you're, you know, you're paid and we got our college debts paid off, but we also specifically partnered with the missions agency and our heart was to love people right where they were, to do Bible studies in our home with those who were interested, be the light of Christ. I mean, some otherwise pretty physically and spiritually dark places. So that was kind of how it all started. And, you know, since then, like, I I remember specifically a distinct day that we felt like we were supposed to start a family. And at that point, motherhood really became the call for me. I, you know, I just knew like, this is the point where the Lord says, okay, the work I'm now asking you to do is with your children. They are your greatest disciples now. And so that became the calling in my life for a good season of eight years. And, you know, in that time, we moved to Thailand and we're teaching at an international school here. Um, Well, just my husband has been. And now both of my children are in school and God starts stirring things in me again and brings me back to this love I've had for writing since I was a child. And I I've gone back and written through our seven years in Alaska and am working on turning that into a book to be published. So that's just another place where it's like you sense, I've sensed God, you know, saying, okay, this is something you're passionate about. These are gifts I've given you. This is something that's right in front of you that you can walk in. These are the people that you love that I want you to reach with it, you know, and it's mm-hmm. just, it is, it's, I, I love those three words that you use, the passion, compassion, and conviction, mm-hmm. because that is how it plays out. God starts using them, um, you know, stirring them. And, you know, if I'm walking with him, if I'm paying attention, it's just kind of the most natural thing to say, okay, God, this is, this is the next place you're calling me to. This is the season for this. This is the season for that. And this is how I can partner with you right now. Yeah. I love how you were talking about when you thought about having a family and then your calling for that was being a mom, because mm-hmm. that is a calling. And Amen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it certainly isn't an easy job or an easy no. calling. But God definitely has called people too, you know, women too, in certain seasons of their life, if that's what he has for them. And I love how you all were willing to just go to Alaska. And like you said, it may not have been the point in time where you were able to go into foreign missions overseas, but yet you were able to minister in mission right there while you work mm. through, you know, your college debt and that kind of thing. So that probably quite an experience to be out there in the bush. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. I mean, I would remember we would, before starting the school year, we'd land in Anchorage and we'd have this massive list and we would fill grocery carts with items from Costco and Fred Meyer. And um, then we'd go back to our mission guest house and we'd pack them all up in totes and we like figured out the system okay if you take all the paper towels out you can kind of use them as padding for this and that and actually eggs don't have to be refrigerated especially when it's cool we can pack the eggs in the totes and we would ship like six or seven huge rubbermaid totes full of food out to the bush with us so that we had our groceries for the next like four or five months until we flew out at Christmas and then we did the whole routine again and it was very isolated very beautiful Um, we were in two different villages and the spiritual climate of each was significantly different the first one Um, Without going into too much detail, there was just 
I think there was a lot of unresolved grief there. Mm -hmm. And walking into that made it really difficult to teach in the school and interact with the families kind of without taking on some of that emotional burden yourself. You know, it's just around Mm -hmm. you every day and you're in a village of like 50, 70 people. And it was just, it was heavy. You know, the the atmosphere was heavy. There were some really difficult things that happened. The first year we were there, um, there were four teachers I was the kindergarten through fifth grade teacher. And well, I guess I started out kindergarten through fourth grade. And then there was like a fifth, sixth, seventh grade teacher. And then there were two high school teachers, one of which was my husband. And one of those high school teachers was transferred out in November to a different school. And so all of a sudden, you know, our first year there, partway through, we're scrambling to redistribute her load. And it was, it was a crazy season. Challenge. Yeah, it was. That was a time that um, the Lord really did some reworking in my heart. Mm -hmm. When you were talking about the grief process, tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit more about that. Mm, Well, you know, they often like to talk about grief in stages. Mm -hmm. And one of the interesting things I learned is that grief can also be a communal process. You know, the villages that we worked in, they're so close knit that often if somebody dies, there's something traumatic that happens, even just in the culture. We were working mostly with the natives and, um, you know, they weren't put in reservations in Alaska, Mm -hmm. but their traditional ways were lost. And, you know, going back to the grandparents of the children we taught, a lot of them were in schools that literally slapped their mouths if they spoke their native tongue and not English. And, you know, so there was a lot of underlying grief, you know, which comes from loss, loss of culture, loss of loved ones, loss of dreams. And, you know, when you don't know how to work through that and move to a place of of acceptance and being able to live because it never completely goes away right you always live with the loss but when you don't know how to move on living in in a state of hope even in the midst of the loss it just kind of spirals into i mean out there it, it was a lot of addiction And there's other factors that play into that too. But, you know, there was so much alcoholism and drugs and yeah, it was, um, it was difficult for sure. You know, to listen to what you were talking about regarding that type of grief, because there are such different types and Mm -hmm. it's not always necessarily the loss of a loved one or a friend. It's a loss of something that you felt was part of you or, you know, Mm -hmm. a, a big change in trying to navigate unknown territory and unknown waters and can Mm -hmm. be really a difficult transition. And so, so how long again were you in Alaska? We were there for seven years. Mm. And you know, it's interesting. I'm reminded as you talk, it took me a while to recognize that in our first couple years there, I was really going through some grief too. And I hadn't expected it. You know, you, you kind of jump into the call, or at least I did. Maybe I'm sort of a like head first kind of go-getter type of person, but jumped into that call like, yes, Lord, I want to, I want to go serve you. I want to do this teaching as mission thing. Like, this is great. How are you going to use me? Mm-hmm. And it involved more pain than I expected. And I don't want that to sound like a discouraging thing, but it was just the, you know, the reality that I had some expectations that I wanted the Lord to meet Yes, and, you know, giving up my sense of security from where I was at with my first my family and then my good community from Minnesota and the church we were part of like all that I had to grieve letting that go and moving into this place that was really 
a difficult place to live. And so it was just this conflict between my expectations with how I thought God should be moving or how I wanted him to use me or even just how I thought I should be loving it. Like, well, this is where I'm supposed to be. Shouldn't I love it? Why am I miserable right now? And I've called that the spiritual wilderness time in my faith, where it's like, I'm kind of wandering. I feel like I'm wandering in this place where I can't really see what God is doing anymore. Mm -hmm. And it just becomes, it can feel like a stuck place. But, you know, what I've learned is I've, you know, you kind of come out of these seasons and in hindsight, right, if we, if we sit with the Lord and ask him, can you show me where were you in all this when it felt like I was just struggling alone? Um, He will. And he's been so faithful to show me how he was walking with me. And really in that wilderness time, like revealing some idols, exposing some false beliefs and showing me who he was in a more potent experiential way than, you know, I had all this head knowledge from Bible college and I loved him dearly, but I didn't have, I wasn't grounded in like what it looked like to walk in his love. And um, it was just kind of like the Israelites, you know, he led them out of Egypt and he promised to bring them into the promised land, but the in-between was wilderness. And yeah. that wilderness was not unintentional. It wasn't an accident. And even when he led them through the wilderness to the promised land and the spies reported the giants and there was disbelief and they had to go back and quote unquote wander in the promised land some more, even God was with them then. Like I discovered not too long ago that in the last verses in Exodus, talk about how the Lord led them through the wilderness, that pillar of fire by night, you know, he was leading them the whole way. His purposes, um, you know, how he's, he's revealing them, revealing himself to them. And it's really a beautiful formative time, but I mean, it can happen through a lot of different stages in our faith, but sometimes it happens after (laughs) we answer that calling and um, our expectations don't quite match with the reality of following God. Yeah, I love how you described all of that because it does make you think about the fact that what if they had gone right into the promised land? Would they have had that same connection and relationship of knowing the Lord is our everything? We have to depend mm-hmm. on Him for everything and how you had walked through and call it your spiritual wilderness. It, it did remind me of that. And then you kind of went right into it about the Israelites and how they spent, you know, all those years in the wilderness. And I love also how you remind us that even during those times where we feel like it's a drought or we feel like, where are you? Then he does reveal that he is right there with us through Mm -hmm. those difficult times, because that is all working together for good for us eventually how we are molded and and we're maturing and being sanctified. Sometimes sanctification doesn't feel so comfy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, and I love also how you brought out our expectations because when we Mm -hmm. think about calling and we think we were born for this, you know, that kind of thing where Mm -hmm. it seems like it should feel like all the puzzle pieces finally fit together and everything's going to run smooth and it's all going to be great. I mean, obviously we don't really think it's always going to be that way, but yeah, you have, like you say, expectations of if this is what I'm supposed to be doing, it will feel like I'm supposed to be doing it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't, does it? Right. Yeah, that's that's exactly true. And I will tell you one of the most significant things God has taught me in following him and walking through 
some wilderness times is the idea that I really believe first and foremost, um, our calling, it's like when people ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second was like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that lines up perfectly with this idea of calling in that first and foremost, God calls us to himself. Mm -hmm. He calls us to his heart. He calls us to a love relationship with him. And out of that comes that second commandment where we reach out to our neighbors and we love them, but we can't truly love them with the love of Christ if we're not first wrapped up and experiencing and daily drenching ourselves in the love of God. And so that's been something I just have to keep coming back to, like, God is calling me here and to this ministry, yes, but first and foremost, God is calling me to himself. Like there is no, there is no higher, stronger call on my life than just to the heart of God. I think that's his calling for me more than anything else. Yeah, that's a great and beautiful reminder about putting God first and seeking him first and seeking his face. And now here you are, or there you are in Thailand, right? Tell me about that journey to Thailand and what you all are doing there now. Well, um, you know, ever since doing some short-term missions in college, you know, we had this desire to go to some of the more unreached nations of the world. I mean, Thailand is less than 1% Christian. After seven years in Alaska, debts were paid. We'd had a couple kids. Um, we felt that the time was ripe for us to look at, you know, okay, is that door open to go elsewhere in the world? And our missions agency was starting to work in Thailand. So, you know, kind of funny, we really liked our comfortable position of being paid school teachers in Alaska. And so we looked at paid teaching positions in Thailand. And the area they were working in had two international schools. One of them paid and one of them didn't. And so we're trying to get a job at the paid school. But, you know, Troy call, Troy is my husband. Troy calls and they put him on hold for like 30 minutes until finally he gives up and hangs up. He sends an email. They don't reply. He, like the doors just kept oh, wow. closing. <laughs> And so finally, we contacted this other Christian international school. And, you know, well, especially because they only recruit volunteer teachers. They were like, hey, yes, you know, we, we definitely have a position for you if you can come. And we thought, well, you know, we can go maybe for a year on our Alaska savings and just raise some minimal support. And then in that time, we can always look around and switch. And I don't even know if we were here a month before we fell so in love with the mission and the community of our school. It's Chiang Rai International Christian School that we're like, okay, we're in, even though it means like full missionary support raising. We love this because their heart is to serve the servants. And mm -hmm. there's so many people in Northern Thailand doing so much amazing work, uh, you know, outreach to the unreached hill tribes and Bible translation and human trafficking prevention. And, you know, they have educational needs for their kids. And not all of them are equipped to do that via homeschool. Most of them don't want to send them away to a boarding school. The nearest one is three hours away. The Thai school system here is very shame-based and very, you know, you think this way, you do this way. There's no creativity allowed outside of our box. And so most do not want to send their kids to a Thai school either. And so especially coming from that remote place of rural Alaska, we were like, yes, coming here where we can support this community, we realized how beautiful it was to support one another um, and to walk alongside each other in ministry. We, this is it. This is our calling right now. So we've gone <laughs> full heartedly into the Christian school life here. And I've been overjoyed to get to minister to women here too. I've been allowed to serve on a committee that does annual retreats 
for the missionary women and it's just such a precious time of giving them space to connect with one another and with the Lord. And I've really kind of sensed that word connect being a key word that God's putting in my life, you know, to walk into right now is building connection yeah. for people. So I get to do that. I love my women's ministry. And then more recently, it's moved into writing too. And I'm wanting to use my words to help people connect with the heart of God, um, wherever they're at, to be able to give pause in their lives and really kind of that piece that I said about like diving deeper into his love so that out of that, can be the overflow of stepping into their calling. That's what, where my heart is right now. I love that. And also that you're able to serve and minister to women mm -hmm. besides your teaching mm -hmm. and how they just embraced you to come. And especially when the other one, the doors were closing and it's nice when sometimes you have that bit of a clearer direction that, well, I guess that's not what he wants us right. to do. Right. But foreign country too, and as you said, less than 1% mm -hmm. of Christians yeah. there, it, that is just mind-blowing when we think mm -hmm. about here, you know, a church on every corner, and it's, it's difficult to fathom that kind of need for the gospel mm -hmm. to be shared mm -hmm. over there. So, so what is on your horizon well, um, we've got a couple things where, you know, we're committed to be here for a while. And in the meantime, we've applied to adopt a Thai child. And that's a long drawn out process. We're trying to do a domestic adoption right through the Thai government. That's been an eye. We could go down that rabbit trail of another sense of calling we've had even since before we were married. Um, but that's hopefully we, we call him Nemo when we pray for him because he's like out there lost and, Aww. you know, Nemo, we're going to find you. But, um, so we're we're praying Nemo into our family. We don't know how long that's going to take, but that's yeah. coming. And then this book that I'm working on, I've kind of melded my narrative of walking through a season of wilderness in Alaska with mm -hmm. just some of the, the insights that God's given me as I've looked back and wanting to use this book as a way to say, you know, yeah, you might be in a wilderness season. It might feel dry or like God's not here, but look, this is how it was for me and God was in it and he's in it with you too. And here's what he's doing. And, you know, hold on, have faith. He's bringing beauty from ashes and he's making flowers bloom in the wilderness. And I'm really excited to get this book out there in the next year. Yeah. So that's coming. That just sounds like a whole big dose of hope there, you know, for, <laughs> yeah. you because know, a lot of women struggle with feeling that wilderness mentality or when you're going through it, you, you know, you don't really feel like you see God there or you don't know where you're actually heading, but you don't really realize that he's leading you by the hand right through, you know, right in the right direction when you're seeking him and just continually following and trusting in mm -hmm. faith, you know, that yeah. faith of what we, we don't see, but then we get to see things, which is so amazing. You know, the fruit or things that happen later or confirmation or the, those amazing little precious ways that God encourages us to keep mm -hmm. fighting the good fight and persevere. And, and I love that you have Nemo out there somewhere. <laughs> You're Thai, you know, little Thai person, whoever that mm -hmm. might be that God knew before the foundations of the earth. And that little person would be part of your family. How are your kids? Are they really excited about that? They are, um, especially my older son. You know, I think it's a little hard for him because he's he's eight. And so he's pretty aware 
and we don't really keep things from them. You know, we try to be pretty open as we're like, well, okay, you know, we've, we haven't heard from the social worker in a long time or, you know, whatever. And if he hears something, he's like, oh, is Nemo coming soon? Are, you know, and he's been waiting, this poor kid's been waiting and anticipating for about three years now um, that we've been in the process. And yeah, I, you know, I think it will be a challenge, the yeah. adjustment, because I mean, we're not even asking for a baby. We're um, probably going to adopt a about four-year-old, mm-hmm. somewhere in that range. But, you know, I just, I have faith that God isn't just doing this for Nemo. He's not just stirring my heart. He's working in all of our hearts through this and that mm-hmm. it's going to be something that will be a beautiful way that the Lord can work in my children's hearts too, to, to really learn what it's like to expand that love and invite somebody in and kind of be the arms of Jesus. Like you say, it just starts kind of like a, a wave going and going and going. It just never ends mm-hmm. all that love to give. Mm-hmm. And so many children need that. And We can do that in Thailand. We can do it in our own backyard here in the U.S., you know, wherever God calls us to do that. And that's very inspiring. And I know that your book is going to really bring a lot of hope to people and minister to the hearts of women. So how Mm. can women connect with you, Cora? I have a blog where I do write weekly encouragement for drawing closer to the Lord, connecting with him. And that's just my name, CorellaRoberts.com. So you can find me there. And then on Instagram, I'm Corella.Roberts, or you can find Corella Roberts on Facebook too. So Great. I'd love to connect with listeners in any of those ways. That would be wonderful. I will put that information in our episode notes so people can find you and connect with you. And I appreciate this. So you're just starting your day where you are. That's right. (laughs) Sun's coming up. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm looking forward to seeing how things develop with all that's going on with your book and how your family expands. Thank you, Doris. It's been a pleasure. All righty, friend. Well, we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening. And I hope you were inspired by the words of encouragement and hope Corella shared today. You can connect with Corella at CorellaRoberts.com. And you can also find her on Instagram and Facebook. I'll add those links in the episode notes so you can check it out. I'd also love to connect with you as well. So hop on over to my blog at doriswift.com. There you also find some free gifts. I have an ebook, Step Out of Your Doubt and Into Your Calling, tip sheet for sharing your faith with others, and some fear-fighting scripture verses you can download and print. So where is the place where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect? Your fierce calling is wherever God is calling you to in the season that you're in right now. Friend, your life has purpose and the world needs your gifts. I'd like to leave you with this encouraging word. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13. Join me next week when I meet with another woman who is taking action where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, have a blessed week, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.